Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about drain tile design. As always, though, if you have any questions for us or if there's anything else you would like to talk about today, love to do that with you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We are live in the Morton studio today, and we are going to talk drain tile throughout the show. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Our first question comes from Brent. He said, I'm I'm new to farming, but I'm interested in vertical tillage. I'm wondering what vertical tillage tool you use or if you know some in the market that are better than others. Well, I'll, I'll just say there are a lot of good choices out there. When we're talking, by the way, vertical tillage, uh, so we're all on the same page here because I think to some people that might mean something different than to others. What I believe he is asking about is a coulter machine that is intended to fracture the soil going down deeper than what it is running. So let's say you're running it three inches deep and it it will fracture the ground deeper than that. And how deep it will fracture it really varies depending on speed, the type of coulter, how hard the soil is, how much moisture there is in the soil. I, I mean, so there are a lot of factors there. There are a lot of people who will run these kinds of machines in the northern United States because they may not want to do full tillage, yet they need some tillage to blacken up the soil a little bit. So they get at least some degree of soil and then of course all the microbes that go with it together with their residue to help speed that process of residue breakdown. Now I do find it interesting just as kind of a side note here when we get to the southern U.S. and the east coast and the west coast and we talk to people who are like well you have to go no-till and it's the only way to go and I'm going I understand that but it's 25 below zero here today and our ground is frozen solid like a rock for five months out of the year we don't have much heat even here in South Dakota we're keep in mind we're warmer than much of Minnesota and certainly North Dakota and even at the hottest point in the year that's when we have our ag PhD field day you know what the average high temperature is then the high 86 that's it <laughs> that's at the hottest point we usually go all the way into june before we consistently get temperatures in the 70s so my point is you can't break residue down very quickly we have like four months to do that and it just doesn't happen so we're trying to get a better seed bed we're trying to get uh, this residue breaking down broken down sooner than three years down the road and so a vertical till type machine is nice especially because you can run it in the spring, whereas let's say you had a disc, you, well, you could run it in the spring, but you know, discs are used to build roads. So you really don't want to be out there when there's some moisture in your soil in the spring, right before planting, creating a whole bunch more compaction. So we have seen pretty good results with a number of these different vertical till machines. All right, thanks for the question, Brent. To get this one, Brian, a bunch of soil tests here. This is on a 107-acre field. Uh, this one comes from Travis. He said, I'm an agronomist and I have a customer that I work with who has a feedlot and 
by looking at his soil test results, it looks like they've used quite a bit of manure there over the years. They've got a high level of phosphorus, and we got talking about the 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc that you guys discuss on your show. Yep. Just wondering, he has a malic extraction method on his micros. Can I utilize that along with his malic malic phosphorus test to also shoot for a 10 to 1, or is it slightly different using malic versus Bray tests? Well, typically the malic tests run higher. So I'm not too worried about it. Would I still use 10 to 1 or thereabouts? Yes, I would. There are a lot of people who are doing that. Well, the, now, and the other at, thing too, Travis, is you can, can look at his yield data and correlate that to where exactly. he's pulled these tests. That'll give you yes. a good idea of where he's getting more yield. Yes. Uh, so you can do just like we're doing in our farm, trying to figure out, well, what is really the right ratio based on all the soil tests and all the yield data points that we've got on our farm. But here, here is, here's one other comment that I've got for you real quick. So I, I, and I'm just looking and maybe I missed the very highest one, but the highest one I see here is 488 parts per million on phosphorus. Now that'd be similar to a P2 uh, in the Bray test. Uh, so in other words, what's available today plus what's going to be available through the course of the growing season. Um, so that 488 is probably not all available today. But anyway, here's the point. That's really high. So if you're going to get zinc 10 to 1 with that, you'd be talking 48 parts per million of zinc. No way. No way. I am not doing that. So what I would try to do in areas like that is I would reduce the amount of phosphorus. There are plenty of other areas where he's only at 100 parts per million or so. And put the phosphorus there. Don't put it where you're already at 488. So stop putting phosphorus in that area. And, you know, I would start looking at some of the other things. What else do you need? Because, for example, in that same spot where there's 488 parts per million of phosphorus, there's 16.1% potassium. In a uh, relatively heavy, well, in a very heavy soil, 28 CEC. So a heavy soil, 16% K. You know how much K that is in terms of parts per million? That's 1,813 parts per million. So stop putting phosphorus on there. Stop putting potassium on there. And then some of these things will start to get in ratio just naturally. And part of the reason why I wanted to bring this up too is because you use so much more phosphorus in a year than you do zinc. So if let's say all of a sudden the guy says, okay, well, I'll stop putting phosphorus on for just three years, he's going to drag that way down. I mean, way down. And if you would have overdone your, your zinc to the point where you got 48 parts per million of zinc, you're talking about four lifetimes before you can get that, that number down into a normal category. So you got to be really careful what you do with the micronutrients because the plant does not use a lot of them each year. All right. Thanks for the questions, Travis. Oh, he, he just mentioned too, are there other micros? You see a big difference with the Malik test. And there are a lot of different extraction methods out there. I think one that really stands out is manganese. Yeah. And hey, one other thing that I wanted to say, when it does appear like it's a manure area, um, we're really concerned about sodium. And he is starting, he's over 1% on a bunch of his sodium tests. So that tells me to stop putting manure there, or at least cut way, way, way back. And also, I'd like to see salt levels. I don't see salt levels here. I'd really like to see that. All right, we're going to talk about drain tile right after this. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. 
Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to talk about drainage tile design, and this is something, Brian, we're a month ahead of the Ag PhD Drainage Tile Clinic. And if you're interested in more information about drainage, you can go to agphd.com, just click on the events tab for our tiling clinic. It's something that you can attend in person. It'll be right at the site of the Ag PhD field day. It'll be indoors. We'll have equipment indoors. Uh, you can talk to experts there about, hey, here's what I'm working with, here's my situation, that type of thing, and also get some great ideas to take home. So I think talking about this a month in advance is is probably a good idea because there are a lot of questions when it comes around to this, Brian. And part of it, too, I, I talked to a lot of farmers that say, well, isn't it common sense a little bit here? Doesn't water just flow downhill? And if I just start working on the ground that has some slope to it, I can get the hang of this? And I say, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Take take an easier field that needs some drainage first. And then, yeah, your tabletop flat field with seemingly nowhere to go with the water, maybe that's not the problem that you attack first. Part of the reason we wanted to talk about this today, too, is it's dry right now. We're in an extreme drought area. The forecast is a 70% chance of below normal precip in 2021. If that comes true, that's the perfect year to put tile in. You should be able to get into most areas and get it done now. You know that wet weather is going to come back, so we would just really encourage you, learn everything you can about drain tile, put in what you need for the wetter years, and sure, you might not need it this year, but sooner or later, you're absolutely going to need that tile again if you have in the past, especially if you're going for bigger yields. All right, real happy to have Matt Helmers with us with Iowa State University to talk a little about drainage tile design. Matt, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. 
You know, there's always a lot of work going on in the state of Iowa. Obviously, there's a lot of tile that's already in the ground, and farmers every year are upgrading or fixing existing tile, those types of projects out there. What are some of the things that you're talking to farmers about and some of the common questions you're getting right now? Well, certainly, you know, certainly kind of getting questions is normal. What, you know, what depth and spacing should we use? You know, how big should the, the tile be? Kind of thinking about planning planning for the future, you know, should this field uh, get some drainage? And so, you know, really kind of encouraging folks just to, you know, think about, you know, is that a field that has high water table conditions, can benefit from drainage? And then thinking about matching that tile size, the main size, to the depth and spacing that we're using out in the field. You know, one thing, our, our dad got involved in tiling a lot longer ago than we did, and one of his pieces of advice was to make sure that main size was big and set up for the future so you didn't have to redo things. I know when we tie in with neighbors, obviously they can they can add into some tile design, and if you work in advance to, to make sure that main is sized properly, it sure helps avoid problems. Do you see a lot of those old mains just not being big enough? Is that one of the things that farmers are having to deal with? You're exactly right, and probably a couple reasons for that. You know, one is some of them, you know, were put in, you know, almost 100 years ago when we were asking different things of our agricultural land, and then some, just like you said, we've had neighbors tie into it, but now that main is, is just not to the modern design standard capacity. So we would, you know, I, I would definitely, just like your dad said, uh, you know, try to get the main as big as possible, plan for the future that you're probably going to tie in more into the future. Well, you mentioned that some of these systems have been in place for 100 years or even more. You really do have to think long term with this. And so if I'm just going to tile a field for the first time and I'm trying to think long term, uh, how do how do I do that? I guess is the main the biggest part and then just keeping keeping my spacing even on the tile lines out there with the laterals or, or how do you advise guys to go? That, that's a good question. And I would say, yes, yeah, start with the main and make sure that's sized appropriately because, you know, you could, if you don't size that appropriately, you're going to be limited to kind of the effectiveness out in the field. And then, you know, you could think about, um, you know, uniform spacing across the field. You could also look at, you know, do you have some different soil types that some may benefit from a little closer spacing and some maybe you don't have to be quite as close. So, you know, what's the the natural drainage class of, of each of those soils and maybe you adjust the spacing accordingly there. Just something to think about. One question that we get, Matt, and I'm sure you run into it in in the state of Iowa is around livestock and manure. I'm sure you've done some work on manure. If we avoid the inlets and we keep our tile down three or four feet deep in the ground, is manure a huge issue for tiled fields or or is that something that can be managed around? Yeah, I think you can you can manage around that. A couple of things is one is, you know, if we apply similar nitrogen rates with manure uh, as we do commercial fertilizer, from our research, we see about the same nitrate loss. You know, so if we're putting on about the same plant available nitrogen, we'd expect similar nitrate loss. One thing I do talk about or that we've talked about in the past, it's been a few years, but you could put a control structure at the exit of that, that uh, field. Um, that you could put those some of those boards in place right when you put on the manure. So if there is any preferential flow to the tile, you don't get a direct uh, outlet. There's some good resources um, that came out of Ohio State about 15 years ago. Uh, Ohio State 
uh, extension uh, on that came out about 15 years ago. All right. Another thing that's come, a question that's come out, especially out of livestock operations, is what if we're going to have perennial crops like alfalfa or even cover crops that are a little more deep-rooted, trying to help us with compaction issues? Are we going to run into issues with our tile? That that is a, a great a great question, um, and I think you know a lot of times we would not expect to see enough root density with our cover crops uh, to cause a big problem. We've done a little bit of work also even scoping up some tile lines where we had prairie, um, and we did not see a problem after about 10 years. Um, now, one of the things I think that can, can cause problems if you have locations where, you know, the water tends to set in the tile, that could end up being a, a problem area. But if you got good grade on there and get that water out, um, I think a lot of times it can work fairly well. All right. You talk about... Uh lines getting plugged up and we do have a number of questions that come in from farmers with really fine soil types and wondering about what can they do is adding more slope to those lines especially the main line uh, one of the better ways you can make sure they maintain uh, uh, clean lines and, and flush out any silt that might get in there that that would definitely be one way but you would also want to check that we don't we don't have too much velocity in that pipe that could pull in any any soil as well. So, you know, there are some kind of guidelines there about the minimum velocity you want in the pipe or minimum slope, but then you don't want to get too fast either that you're pulling pulling stuff in, pulling soil in from around the pipe. All right, we get a number of questions that come in on flat ground, Matt, and I know there's some areas of Iowa that are pretty flat. We talk to farmers all over the, well, really all over the world, and they're like, oh, all of Iowa must be just this tabletop, flat, square fields. And I'm like, have you ever been to Iowa? There's all kinds of different terrain out there. But I know there are certainly areas that are pretty flat, and and some guys that are forced to, to incorporate lift stations into their design. If you're doing that, where do you begin on that process? if you know you're going to need a lift station? That's, that's a good question. And I'm going to have to say that I, I have not dealt much with lift stations. And so I'm probably not the best one to ask about that. If you, uh, Tom Scherer from North Dakota State would be a great person on those lift stations. But I, I'm going to have to say, I, bet, I don't want to, I don't want to send somebody in the wrong direction. Well, I know North Dakota certainly fights some really, really flat ground up in the Red River Valley. That there, there's no doubt about it. They got to do it just right. And we're talking with Matt Helmers here with Iowa State University. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the advice. Thanks for taking on some of these tough questions for us. You bet. Thanks a lot. You guys have a great day. You know, Brian, a lot of times when folks are getting started on drainage, they do want the toughest question answered first. And, uh, and that can be a little bit challenging. Well, yeah, and especially if you haven't tiled before, you don't necessarily know what is the toughest question. So yet today on our show, we're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes we've made on our farm as we started tiling back. Uh, let's see, we got our first tile plow 14 years ago now. So we'll talk about some of the wins and <laughs> some of the failures, some of the things we did that uh, we shouldn't have done as we go throughout the show today. Again, if you've got any questions for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743 or email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Now, if you just tuned in and you happened to cross the channel and you heard us talking about drainage, you might have figured out, oh, I bet it's Ag PhD. Those guys talk about drainage a lot. Well, the reason why, it's really important. Our crops need oxygen. And if the root system doesn't have enough oxygen, we've got a problem. And the number one... Well, don't... Yeah, but don't say oxygen. It would be air. So air. All right. Because remember, plants That's breathe true. in carbon dioxide. We talk all the time about how plants are the answer to solving this greenhouse gas issue that some people don't even believe is real. But if you do believe it's real and you want the answer to global warming, well, we have the answer. All we have to do is raise more crop. And I'll tell you what, a dead area because it's too wet, that's not raising more crop and that's not helping us solve this greenhouse gas issue. 
All right, let's uh, head out to Central Illinois. Got Jeremy Miners on with us right now with Agrim. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, when we talk about drainage tile design, I, I I talk to a lot of folks who've had tile in the ground for years and years, and they say, oh, you guys out in South Dakota are so lucky. You're putting new tile in to ground that hasn't been tiled. You can actually set it up right the first time instead of having to make a whole bunch of adjustments later on. And you think about that. We've got a lot of different options of ways that, that we can handle ag drainage in fields, including potentially uh, doing irrigation back through those same lines. So when when you get these questions from brand new farms that are going to get tiled, Jeremy, where do you start with those guys? Oh, that that's, that's a great point. Uh, so, yeah, out here in Illinois where I'm from, there's most fields already have tile drainage systems. And when you get a, a farm that has had no tile in it, I mean, it's really just starting fresh. And when that happens, where I like to go first is to the NRCS web soil survey. Uh, the, that will provide information on the different soil types on the field, which then will allow you to uh, not only be able to determine, say, something like your drainage coefficient, uh, but also be able to analyze the field based on uh, where you might have areas that are eroded, where you might have fluctuations in your subsoil that would allow for, uh, maybe it would make a system that you could use a dual purpose system for sub-irrigation and drainage, but it could also reveal information like, well, you can't use subsurface irrigation because it has uh, a location where the the subsoil is, it percolates much more rapidly than, say, the topsoil. Yeah, there are so many different things to take a look at in that. As as you're doing this, now we mentioned potentially having a dual purpose system. Does it necessarily mean that it's going to cost a lot more than if you were just interested in removing excess water? It is going to cost you more. Uh, the main reason, if if we're thinking of a dual purpose system, you're one able to re- you have to be able to remove the water, the drainage aspect, but you also have to be able to get the water back. And the you, when you're putting the water back, you're no longer working with gravity. You're working through the capillary actions of the soil in order to have that water move from the tile line. As a result, because you're no longer having gravity work with you you have to have those tile laterals spaced closer together. Otherwise, you're going to have areas in between those tile lines where you're not going to be getting water. And since you have to have more tile, it necessarily is going to cost more. Okay. But but the side benefit of that by having more tile is you could drain pretty well as well when you need to get rid of excess. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of times with the uh, systems that are set up for sub-irrigation, you're able to drain uh, almost twice as much water and be able to increase your drainage coefficient, say, from something like a removal of three-eighths of an acre inch in a day to maybe three-quarters. All right. Now, you mentioned these drainage coefficients. How do you help farmers determine what's best for them setting up a drainage coefficient for their field? Yeah, that's that's a that's a uh, involved question, uh, but I'll, I'll start off with the basics. The drainage coefficient is how much water you want to remove in 24 hours. And uh, when we look at subsurface systems that are just exclusively subsurface systems, it's really going to be dependent on your soil and how rapidly that, that soil will move your water. And then on your budgetary constraint being how much tile do you actually want to put in. So just like when I'm looking at a brand new field, the first thing I want to do is look at that uh, web soil uh, survey information. That way I can understand what our hydraulic connectivities are. 
so or our percolation rates. So how quickly that water is moving through the soil. And then from there, once I determine what that uh, movement rate is, then I can start thinking about spacings and depths and laying out a design. Yeah, you mentioned budget involved in this too, and I know I've seen this before where, okay, here's the bid for your tile at a half an inch drainage coefficient. If you want more than that, it's going to cost a little bit more and here's the price. And you, you kind of get an idea of, all right, where should my budget be here? When I think about the return though on investment, it's been pretty fast on our farm. We've gotten our money back in many cases within just a few years. Absolutely. Uh, th- there's no doubt that tile pays. And I know that you had uh, Matt Helmers on earlier and when, when you think about your soil types, uh, he brought up a very good point in terms of maybe potentially varying your spacings. So and uh, if you have fluctuations in your soil on, on the farm, if you're shooting for, say, that one-half drainage coefficient, for some soil type, you might keep it closer and then widen it out where you don't need as intense of a drainage system to keep that one-half drainage coefficient. So each, each farm becomes very unique when it comes to that that set design, but the rewards are there for sure. One question that's come in, Jeremy, is talking about a catch basin for this water. If if you were going to build a catch basin, how do you determine how big a, a catch basin you'd need? That's a, a fantastic question, uh, and one we've actually been getting quite a bit lately. So a catch basin is... Uh, the addition of surface drainage into a subsurface system. So you're, you're catching that water, uh, you're, you're collecting that water at a natural pooling area on your field, and then having an opening that is able to remove that water. The place that you start is you have to think of it as both subsurface and surface. And I always start on the surface end. And when I'm thinking about surface drainage, I start off by uh, determining what my precipitation rate is going to be. In particular, what's going to be that two-year or 10-year rain event? And the best place to go for that is to NOAA, and you can download uh, the closest weather station for your farm and have just a list of all the different rain events you have and then find what that big rain event is. Once you find that information, then you can then calculate how much water you have to be able to remove from that surface drain. Yeah, you look at, at uh, I like that idea of just looking at, well, what are the big rain events for your area? And being prepared for that, I, we always talk about this too, that we're just developing this great big sponge out in our field. And if we can have that sponge ready to, to handle the next big event that comes along, and yes, you're going to need that water to leave your field, but but it gives you a good idea. If you can start with an empty sponge, you got a pretty nice way to, to hold a bunch of water as it comes onto your farm. Uh, Jeremy, lots of things here, lots of things that we're opening up. Uh, I guess any last points that you wanted to make? Um, first of all, uh, this is a perfect timing, as you guys said at the very beginning, in terms of really start thinking about uh, your drainage and your drainage plans for spring, summer, and fall. Uh, it's always best to be prepared and know the locations that you really need your drainage uh, during this period that are drier and then be able to implement in a, 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 a well-defined design strategy so that you're able to get that tile in the ground when you uh, before you need it. 
yeah, getting it out there before you need it is is the important thing. We're talking with Jeremy Miners here with Agrim. Jeremy, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the information. I know we could talk all day, but but sure, appreciate you sharing some some brief thoughts here to start the discussion. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again for having me on. You bet. All right, Brian. Drainage tile design. Obviously, it's a big topic. Um, we've got quite a bit more ground to cover here, but I, the the basics of this are to get it done before you need it. So you got to get started. <laughs> well, well, I yep. mean, and, and well, what I'm getting at is, so often we we get caught up in this one big problem. Well, I got one neighbor that I have a hard time dealing with on this one end of the farm. Well, don't let that stop everything that you're doing. You got other areas that you can get going on. Get those going right. while you're getting that that tougher to to work with neighbor. You're just slowly working on that one. Uh, but you can be a little more aggressive on on the rest of the farm to get things going. Talking about drainage on our show today. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. 
Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with high striker treated nitrogen. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're talking drainage on the show today. And I just had a few more points here that I wanted to make. First of all, before you even think about anything else with tile, I think it's very important to understand all the environmental benefits of tile drainage. And right away, as soon as I say that, there are a lot of people that go, what? Tile's bad. And it's, no, tile's fantastic. So first of all, I I would really encourage you to write this down or record this, whatever, uh, make a note for yourself so you can actually go read this because there is a summary of a lot of university trials and just work that's been done in the United States and Canada over the last hundred years. Just read Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage. So again, that's Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage. It's by Heather Frazier and Ron Fleming. But if you simply do a Google Google search for that, it will come up. Go ahead and read that summary of 86 different tile studies. And it shows, well, just like the name says, the environmental benefits of it. So let me explain uh, just a few of the key things. Number one is tiling absolutely reduces erosion. And roughly it's 40 to 60% in a lot of the studies for erosion reduction. So if you think about the NRCS even, a lot of people say, well, NRCS is opposed to tile. And they go, no, they aren't. It says right in their mission statement, they're absolutely in favor of tile. And they go, no, it doesn't. And I said, well, you got to read through the lines here. Why was NRCS ever set up? It was because of erosion back in the 30s. Did you know that NRCS was originally called the Soil Erosion Service? And if you're ever talking to some NRCS person who's opposing tile, you need to remind them of that. And that's still one of their top things is reducing erosion. Okay, it's saving soil. Well, number one, um, yeah, you could switch over to no-till if you want to, but you know what number two on the list is for reducing erosion? Tile. And think about it logically. Okay, if you've got a reservoir, if you've created a reservoir in your field, then, I mean, by keeping the water table down, well, now when a rain hits, it's going to soak in. If your ground is full of water, well, the rain has to run off. When it runs off, it carries soil, chemical, and fertilizer. So this is also the reason why tiling reduces flooding. Typically, the studies will show 15 to 30% flooding reduction. In some cases, certainly more. Tiling improves downstream water quality because when soil is able to filter the water, that water's a lot cleaner before it gets into into a river or a lake. Uh, tiling improves roads, and if you don't believe that, just look at any time they build a new interstate highway, they put tile lines on both sides of the road, so they tell the water where to go, not having the water seeping under the ground. And in rural America, this is our number one issue with roads. It's not big trucks. So also, if somebody ever gives you a hard time, oh, your big trucks are destroying our road, I'd tell them, hey, we need to spend more money on tile. We fix the drainage, and all of a sudden, you're running the big trucks doesn't matter. What matters is the water that's seeping below the road and destroying that road. And days like today are a good example. Over the last couple, uh, last three days now, we've had low temperatures below minus 20 Fahrenheit. 
And let me put that in perspective for you. That's over 50 degrees below freezing. Okay, over 50 degrees below freezing. What do you think is going to happen in the spring? We're going to get uh, the the spring thaw and the roads are going to heave if they've got water underneath them. So that's another big thing. And then finally, tiling absolutely helps farmers maximize production on current farmland, meaning non-cropland can be kept for other uses such as hunting and recreation. So we'll get back to talking about tile, but right now, let's get to the phone lines. We've got Dave with us right now up in Pennsylvania. It's uh a little cold up there, a little snowy up there, I bet, too, Dave. you got a lot more snow than we've had. Yeah, we we have quite a bit here. I think we're pushing the foot mark, and uh, we have ice uh, today. So today's uh, in office and do income tax work. So All right. We're not so, uh, you know, dealing with that. It's just milking cows. We milk cows, but that's all taken care of. But uh, uh, thanks for having me on there. I had a question uh, listening to a prior radio show that you guys talked about uh, pre-emerge herbicide on soybeans and soybean planting populations. So my two questions are, what do you guys think of the product? We have tend to use uh, Sonic and Trivents in the past. Um, we like Sonic a little better because it's to us a little more forgiving on soil pH if there's a variation. Okay, and and your target weeds that you've got in soybeans that you're trying to to take out we with these breeds? Uh, we're we're used uh, guarding against mare's tail primarily. Um, I know that the sonic will not uh, hold back to the grasses and foxtail, but we usually go in with uh, Durango and the surfactant, and we use 2,4-D ester. But I had heard you uh, like Brian doesn't recommend that for uh, pre-emerge on corn or soybeans. So I didn't know what your thoughts were. Okay. Yep. Got a few things here to unpack. Okay. So first of all, you, you mentioned trivents and I actually had to look up what that even is. Um, so, and just as the name would suggest, it's three different herbicides. It's metribuzin, which is fine. We talk about that all the time. That's great. Uh, we, right. uh, flumioxazin, that's valor. And we also think that's fantastic. Our issue and our challenge here is it's got classic in it. We don't typically recommend classic for use in the northern United States because we worry about high pH spots. So if there's nothing right. above a 7, then it's fine. You can use it. But what we typically will say is, all right, tell us what your worst three weeds are. And for you, you said mare's tail was one. What are two and three? Well, you're just uh, primarily any type of grass that comes through. Uh, you know, we're working with our agronomist to get something done with that there. And then we have a lot of foxtail issues sometimes. Uh, like this summer, since it was dry, it was wet in early May. We got planting around the middle of May. We sprayed uh, kind of later than we did. It got so dry, the herbicides didn't activate. And then we wet, like this is our first year using um enlist three beans sure and they also have the um liberty trade in them but before oh, we were okay. strictly roundup so we were always trying to control mare's tail and a couple of these other we could take the foxtail out post-emergence but we were always using sonic or trivents to hold the mare's tail down okay so the the reason why i'm asking this is with sonic you've got authority which is, is very similar to valor they're in the same chemical family and you can't use those at the same time if you use valor together with authority it's too hard on the beans uh, but anyway, there's also first rate in that Sonic. Uh, so 
the problem with that is it's an ALS herbicide, just like Classic is an ALS. So when you've got ALS herbicides, you're not going to kill ALS-resistant mare's tail, palmer pigweed, water hemp, kochia, common ragweed. I mean, all the list of weeds that are resistant to the ALS products. So that's probably our biggest concern. And you didn't address your number two issue, which is grass. So if it's me, I'm going to say, all right, if mare's tail's number one, sure. The Metribuzin, the Valor, or Authority, that's all fine to throw in there. Uh, I would probably, in my burndown, since you're going to go enlist, I'd get some 2,4-D in the burndown. 2,4-D we don't like in front of non-enlist beans, but in front of enlist beans, it's fantastic. I'd love you to do that. And, and Even then, 2,4-D ester, Brian? <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Uh, will 2,4-D ester hurt the crop? No, but you have to follow the label when the label is going to tell you to do it at least seven days before planting. So if you want to do it within seven days of planting or even after planting before emergence, you've got to use the labeled product, which would be in list one. So We're step making sure it's 14, please. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, just so you understand what the rules are, and there you go. Uh, but right. in terms of the grass, you've got two choices. You either go with a yellow or you go with a group 15. So if it's me, like in our farm, we're always using a yellow because we don't use those in corn and they're good on broadleaves in addition to grass. So I'm talking about trifluralin in uh, conventional till or prowl in no-till. Otherwise, if you want to use a group 15, there are lots of cheap options out there. And so anyway, for example, you could do just like your trivents you're talking about, you got MTZ and you got Valor. Well, you can get the same thing with fierce MTZ, only the difference is you would take out the classic and now you're going to get Zidua in there. And Zidua is a group 15, so now all of a sudden you've got your grass control and you got the Metribuzin and Valor, which will both work on mare's tail. So if it's me, I would switch over to something like that. I'm, I'm just basically saying reallocate the dollars so your top two issues get taken care of. And, yes, throw in Enlist for the burn down. You should be in good shape. And post-emerge, obviously, in Enlist. You can go Roundup. You can go Liberty. You can go uh, with 2,4-D, the new 2,4-D Enlist one. So you're, you're going to do just fine with weed control. I won't get too worried. Hey, Dave, we got to run, but thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Thank you. You bet. Stay tuned, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's about time. Time for unprecedented season-long foliar disease protection. Formulated for a convenient at-plant application, new first-of-their-kind Inferro Zyway brand fungicides deliver complete inside-out protection from day one. From root to tassel, stalk to leaf. From planting through harvest. The active ingredient, Flutriophol, moves from the soil through your plants as your corn grows. Change the way you approach foliar disease protection from the start. With first of their kind, Inferro Zyway 3D and Zyway LFR fungicides. Available only from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides qualify for the exclusive agronomic and economic incentives of the FMC Freedom Pass program. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications, 
and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio, live from the Morton studio. We're talking drainage. If you've never tiled before, here are some of the reasons why you might consider it. Higher yield, we typically see 15 to 25% increase in yield if you've got a drainage issue. Um, you have a longer and more predictable growing season. You can very slowly reduce your high magnesium levels. You can speed all field operations from planting to harvest. You have less chance for soil compaction. You have earlier spring warm-up. You reduce your stuck situations, breakdowns, and repair costs. And if you don't think that's a big deal, I mean, literally farmers die every year because they get stuck, try to get pulled out, somebody does something dumb or something breaks, and somebody dies. So it's it in some cases, it's a life or death thing. Additional reasons why tile. Plant, you can plant earlier. You'll have fewer seed and seedling diseases. You can spray more timely. You'll reduce surface water. You can lower high soil pH. You can reduce salt levels, improve soil health. And one of the big things I always tell people is you can make farming fun again. When we first bought our tile plow, our first tile plow in 2007, part of the reason why we did is we were farming about 35 fields that year, and there were only three we could farm straight through. Three out of 35. Today, we farm straight through every single field. We plant them all early. We get much higher yields, and we have a lot healthier soil. I, I was talking earlier in the show about the greenhouse gas thing, and we, we talked about that just a little bit yesterday. Everybody's panicking about you know global warming and everything. Well, we're the farmers who have the answer. I, I mean, any farmer, all you have to do is raise more crop. And now you've pulled that much more carbon dioxide, which is the number one greenhouse gas. You've pulled that much more out of the atmosphere. So raise more crop. It's going to be awesome. All right. I also mentioned earlier in the show, I would talk about our mistakes. What are the biggest mistakes we made? Here are five. First of all, 
Not enough slope. Only five? <laughs> you said the biggest. I you just, said the right. biggest. I just That's said good. biggest, and I said, here are five. I didn't say, here are the only five mistakes we've ever made. <laughs> but, but these are the, well, and, and honestly, you know, it was probably just little mistakes other than this. And anyway, let me just get into this. First of all, not enough slope for our main lines or laterals. And there's really only one field we did this on, and it's ground that Darren now owns. Our grandpa owned it down in the river bottom. We were trying to get by without a lift station. In hindsight, I, I'm not happy we did it that way. I grant a small field and stuff, but still, that was dumb. You got to have slope for your main lines and quite a bit of it so you can really move that water quickly and also so you reduce the amount of dirt that's going to get hung up in that, that tile line. So um, if you have a very flat field or the slope is running negative, it's running away from where you want the water to go, you've got to create your own slope. But have a good amount of slope, at least with your main line. Lateral is not as big a deal. But the main line, that's huge. And just put a lift station in if you have to. I know it costs more money, but it's not that big an expense. Uh, so we have lift stations on a couple of our fields, and I am so thankful that we do. Next thing, not sizing our main lines big enough. We'd originally planned for roughly 25 inches of rain per year. Okay, A lot of years we get 15, 20, maybe 22 25, 30 had been close to about the most we'd ever had. So we figured out oh, 25 is good. But you know what? In 2018 and 2019, we had 40 inches of precip. So we were almost double what normal was for two years in a row. And we realized, yeah, we didn't size our main lines quite big enough. So if you can, oversize things if you can afford it. Because keep in mind, this tile is going to be there for 50 years, maybe 100 your the next three generations who farm your ground, and I'm serious, the next three generations who farm your ground are going to say thank you every single year when you have properly sized your main lines and put in tile correctly. Next thing, not running laterals close enough in some very heavy soils. We did some 50, 60, 75 foot spacings. Um, if you've got heavy soils, they gotta they gotta be tight. Now we've done some stuff at 20, 25 feet, and that is certainly sufficient. Next thing, not installing tile quickly enough. Tiling should be one of the top priorities on every farm, in our opinion. The longer you wait to install tile, the more money you lose. And then finally, not going far enough into side hills. Now when we install tile, we go way up into the hills, even to the top of the hill. And it's really paid off. So instead of just running, so a lot of our fields have a fair amount of slope. So Initially, we just ran a couple lines near the base of a valley. We called it good. We went halfway up the, the slope, and eh, we're done. Well, now we usually put in four lines or maybe even eight lines parallel to each other, and we go way up to the top of the hill, and now we have the drainage that we're really looking for. A uh, couple last questions I guess I, I would address. And in, in terms of that lift station thing, I just wanted to come back to that real quick. Like I said, we do have a couple of lift stations. A lot of people talk about, oh, it's really expensive to run it. It's not that expensive to run it. It is expensive to put it in if you got to put a big one in. So that's that's just part of the whole deal. But what I would encourage you to do is figure out what's it going to take to run. And keep in mind, you don't have to run it year-round. We, we shut ours off quite often. Uh, haven't been running ours since, uh, let's see, what we have run ours? June last year. So it's been off. So now that the charge is literally, you know, a few cents an acre. So it's no big deal when it's not running. And even if it is running, uh, we 
have spent, even in our, our super wet years, about 50 bucks an acre. Okay, 50 bucks an acre. Um, on the worst stuff, the worst possible drainage thing, and that as low as that ground sits, that 50 bucks, oh my goodness, that is well, well worth it. But yeah, in some of the drier years, we'd spend 10 so on average, we're probably spending 20 bucks a year, maybe per acre. So it's no big deal to run a lift station on the wettest field we know of in this area. <laughs> so that's the worst case scenario is what I'm trying to tell you. All right, let's jump back to some questions. I know we had one on, on tiling that just came in. Yeah, this is from Josh in eastern South Dakota. He said, I've got a 105-acre field that I rent that could potentially be 130 acres to farm if we had tile. It's a field that takes water from every direction, funnels it down to one big box culvert that runs under a state highway. Every bit of it can be tiled except for the last couple acres before the box culvert, which is considered a farmable wetland, but it's usually too farm to wet or too, too wet. wet to farm. There's a ditch running through the wetland also, but it's in the wrong place and not big enough to drain all that water. Just wondering what's the best route to go. Well, usually when we end up with that, number one, we look at okay. Does the ditch need to be moved? Do we have to clean out the ditch? Something like that. It was probably set right originally, and then it just shifted over a period of years. I know we've been cleaning ditches out here for the last few years because I assume our dad did it at some point, but I don't remember that in my lifetime. So eventually you just you have to clean some ditches out. Okay, so that's the first thing. And then once that's done, once you have dirt work done, you always need to do dirt work first, then go put the tile in. And I, yeah, it's probably going to cost some money. That's just the way it is. But like in your case, if you say, hey, it's 105 acres, that could be 130. If I can gain 25 acres and all I have to do is spend the money on tile, like in our area, it costs $10,000 an acre to buy new ground. Well, if I can put $500 an acre in it and have it well tiled, um, sounds like pretty cheap land to me. Well, and it's rented ground too, Brian. And and I think when you look at it that way, that you've got a landlord that you're paying rent to. Let's just say, just for using a round number, let's say it was $200 cash rent. Well, if you've got $200 times 25 acres, well, there you go. Right. You got another five grand every year that he's going to get from you if you do this tiling project. So right. that's, that's pretty good. Now, the other thing is if there are farmable wetlands, and obviously if you want to stay in the government program, you got to get NRCS approval on stuff. Well, actually, I'll take that back. You don't have to get NRCS approval. You can do stuff. NRCS has to prove that you actually drained a wetland. So uh, just semantics. But anyway, the point is, if there's a farmable wetland, you would have to run solid tile through there. We've done that on our farm. It's fine. So at least the, the, the stuff continues flowing through that area, but you're not actually draining that area. All right. Um, yeah, there's there's so many questions around oh, tile, hey, Brian. Yeah. Hey, uh, one last thing. Since this is a dry year, this is the time to get it done. Now is the time to get it done because chances are it isn't too wet right now. Well, not only can you get out in the field and get things done, it's also a lot easier to get along with neighbors if there isn't that initial flush that you'll get out of really wet ground when you put tile Good in. Good point. If it's dry right now, and like for us, we have hardly any subsoil moisture. Well, if you put tile in the ground, it's not even going to run. So that's a great way to start working with your neighbor that, all right, you know what, it's not even going to run until our water table comes way up. So we're in a good spot here. And that, that initial flush, Brian, is a lot of times something that, that causes some tension between neighbors. Well, how long is it going to last? Well, the and, reason why is because they see you out there tiling and, oh, there's all this water coming and they assume it's always going to be that way. No, of course it's not. There's going to be less water flowing downstream long term because you're going to raise more crop. And that is just the common sense that you got to try to bring to people to say, hey, 
Higher yields mean we pull more water out with the crop, not less. So there's going to be less water going downstream eventually. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>